passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. When Ryan's when it's time to begin, it's on the Rewind Around with John Pollock and waiting. The A-Team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's Rewind Around. Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's Rewind Around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Way Take the Mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. It's John Pollock here alongside Waiting, coming out of quite a quite a crazy weekend. But how are you doing, Way? Give us the update on life. I'm doing okay myself. Yeah. Yeah. It just feel it feels like, you know, this is gonna be a pretty calm weekend. But um, clearly not. Um, it, it, it's, it, I mean, usually like after WrestleMania is when things kind of calm down. But uh, with the WWE and certainly what's going on right now, it, it's been anything but. Yeah, we're going to get into all of that stuff. Uh, first off, I want to say uh, what, a, what a tremendous show on Sunday night that everyone got to listen to. Yourself and Pauline, Total Recall. What a fantastic show. Oh, yes. Thank you. Yeah, this was a Patreon bonus show that I just decided to record. Uh, as many people know, I'm a big fan of Total Divas and Total Bellas. And it's something that uh, my fiance, Pauline, and I, we watch pretty much regularly anyway. So it was a Sunday. We had just watched it. And I think the world could use a bit of an update on the lives of Brian, Bree, Nikki, Artem, Kathy, Johnny, JJ. <laughs> everybody and so we've decided to start a new podcast exclusively for our patreon patrons called total recall quite proud of that title myself actually it was very good it was a real good one so uh yes look forward to that now are you going to be doing this it's going to be i think bi not, not every week i think we'll do a bi-weekly. Yeah, bi-weekly we'll do about two episodes every time just to kind of you know let people catch up and give ourselves a bit of a break too because we're going to have other programming as well throughout the yes. weeks yeah well, that's great. Uh, you can go check that out on the Post Wrestling Cafe. And uh, just quickly before we get into the news, uh, coming up on Tuesday night, we're going to have a new Rewind Away. And this week, the subject is Starcade 1983. I'm really looking forward to doing this show. I went uh, I went deep into uh, Starcade and just all the uh, the surrounding uh, issues surrounding this this big event. So we'll be talking about that on Tuesday night for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. All of our regular shows, it's a 
usual week here at Post Wrestling, including uh, the British Wrestling Experience that is back on Friday. And it's going to be Benno and Jamesy joined by Joe Lemon from the Grapple Spotlight podcast. And they're going to go back and review the ROH Unified card from 2006. This was when ROH went over to Liverpool, England and Unified the ROH title and the Pure Championship with Brian Danielson taking on Nigel McGuinness. So that should be a very fun review, uh, which I know Benno and Jamesy attended. I don't know if Joe went to the show as well. Maybe he did. So that should be a fun review on Friday. We've got Rewind to SmackDown on Friday night. The the Rocky Maivia picture show on Saturday. Nate Milton is, I believe, going to be joined by our man Neil. Is this correct? Is that this weekend? I, I know Neil had just recorded it, but I wasn't sure who was if he was his episode was going to air th- right this week. I could be wrong. So uh, Nate has not told me who the guest is, but I know they're doing Journey to the Mysterious Island. So right. he'll be joined by someone. Yeah, yeah. I also wanted to mention uh, an exclusive here on Rewind to Raw this oh. Saturday, as the Rocky Maivia Picture Show will be uh, debuting this late their latest episode. The store at store.postwrestling.com will also be debuting the very first Rocky Maivia Picture Show t-shirt. And you'll be Ooh. able to purchase this and, of course, uh, help out Nate Milton for uh, his his countless hours of, of providing content for all of us with the Rocky Maivia Picture Show. And, and this shirt is amazing. I can't wait for everybody to see it. Well, I look forward to that as well. Uh, can you say anything about uh, Saturday night? It is... Yes. The return of game night? Yes, also on Saturday night. As many people know, uh, our friend Phil Chertalk, our usual MMA reviewer, he's been kind of taking the charge of uh, our new Discord channel. And he's hosting yet another game night, our second one, after the first one was very successful. He's hosting a second one here in our Discord, and this will take place on Saturday night at 8 p.m. And he's kind of theming this one a UFC 249 edition. This, of course, would be the time when you know UFC 249 would have taken place. If you're... Now your plans are, you know, out because, like, if you had your uh, flights booked to Dana's private island um, and, and were sorely disappointed at the news that this event was canceled, well, fear not because you can uh, reroute your, your plane ticket to our Discord channel as Phil Chair Talk will be hosting another game night playing, again, the Jackbox Party Pack. And you don't need a console. You don't need, you know, any sort of system. All you need is a laptop and a web browser, and you'll be able to log on and follow along. And uh, you could win Post Wrestling T-shirt. Um, and just, you know, interact with a bunch of other uh, patrons here in our Discord. And you can find all that info- information in Phil's post titled Post Wrestling In Your House Game Night 249 Edition at forum.postwrestling.com. Oh, dear. Are we going to get a cease and desist over that? Well, uh, in your house. We didn't say whose house. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, we'll find out. This is what happened to, uh, uh, was it the freelance crew? That's right. Yes, in your warehouse is what they've. Um, uh, you know what? We'll take it up with Phil. Well, uh, do tune into that. Uh, participate in game night with the the post master of ceremonies, Phil Chair Talk. There is no one quite like Phil on game night, so you can check that out. And then Sunday, it is the series finale of Thunderstruck. We have come the long winding road that has been Jushin Thunder Liger's career. Uh, is now officially over, okay? Yes, he had the Tokyo Dome matches and the the ceremony, but this really signifies the end of his career as WH Park will be joined by none other than me as we are going to chat about those two matches that 
uh, ended Liger's career at the Tokyo Dome. And we'll also chat about the retirement ceremony that you and I attended with WH as well. So all of that you can look forward to on Sunday, postwrestling.com. And Tuesday, Tuesday, I forgot to mention, Andrew Thompson will have an interview with Scotty Davis of OTT, one of the rising stars um, in all of wrestling. Uh, I'm looking forward to that interview. So Scotty Davis on postwrestling.com on Tuesday. So look forward to that. Let's move on. And I think way the best way to do this news is to go chronologically. When we left off on Friday night, we were literally getting the news as we were doing the show that the the big uh, taping schedule that the WWE had that was going to take place all weekend and Monday was thrown out the window. They decided that instead of taping all of their TV through Money in the Bank, they decided why don't we have no programming in the bank? Instead, we are going to go live uh, beginning with, well, I, with SmackDown, um, Raw, and NXT weekly. And that's what we got tonight. And it was a bit of a confusing decision and one that I was certainly perplexed by given how potentially risky this could be. Um, but we'll revisit that because the next day, uh, Fightful uh, was the one that reported that the WWE had their first case of someone with COVID-19. They put out a statement confirming um, the case, stating that a WWE employee has tested positive for COVID-19. We believe this matter is low risk to WWE talent and staff as the individual and a roommate became symptomatic in the days following exposure to two people working in acute health care on the evening of March 26th, after WWE's TV production on a closed set was already complete. The employee had no contact with anyone from WWE since being exposed to those two individuals is doing well and made a complete recovery. I want your reaction to that way and the traction that this story got over the weekend in your mind. My initial reaction was just, you know, um, I, I mean, I think many people would have agreed that this was an in inevitability. And um, I I think, to me, the first... I, I It wasn't a matter of, like, if, but when. But I, I had always assumed that the moment that when occurred, it would be immediately followed by a shutdown of everything. And, you know, I'm, it's, it's, it's... If their details are to be believed... I, I suppose um, you could justify continuing if it is true that that person hadn't had any contact with anybody and that that person, you know, was uh, I, I completely like 100% sure that that person contracted it um, outside of their taping schedule. I mean, <laughs> which at least at the very least, I have follow up questions to. Yeah, like that. That timing is like incredibly uh, cutting it really close from the last day of their WrestleMania taping to, you know, this very first day of coming back to do SmackDown. I, I just, I, you know, the, the level of, of, I think risk and in, involved in, in, in just that timing is, is, is definitely curious, but, you know, knowing that not only by that point, you know, we had just already gone through SmackDown. So by that point they had already gone through with the schedule but not only that, but compounded with the fact that we, by that point, already knew that they weren't, weren't even going to continue the tapings and instead we'll come back every single uh, week for lives, live tapings. I think my my reaction was just more at that point like, well, of course, 
of course, this company, like with any excuse that they would possibly have to continue, they absolutely would. And um, so I, I would say maybe a bit of surprise, but really not that much, because I think at this point I've come to understand that, you know, um, I don't even know, honestly, what, what what it would take for them to actually like, you know, put an end to this. And I I I suppose they they can always justify that they are following guidelines and I assume that they do have medical experts there that they're consulting um you know whatever you might think about their level of credibility but um by by all accounts I I I believe they believe that they are following all the rules. Okay, to to that I would say yes, the WWE has their has their in-house medical director like uh you know, Dr. Joseph Maroon oversees that their medical program. I have yet to see one statement from Joseph Maroon throughout all of this. And it's all well and good that you're sending out Paul Levesque or Stephanie McMahon to go over the guidelines. And I think like the basic knowledge that you're going to convey through your uh, front facing executives that you're going to put out there in the media. But for me to not hear somebody with uh, a doctor that that is going to come out and state what we are doing and be very specific about why that person feels the confidence to sign off on this when so many others have like, they are in the minority view of going ahead with these shows. And I find it um, to me somewhat like there has to be some medical professional that is speaking here on behalf of WWE. And that goes beyond a, a Paul Levesque or a Stephanie McMahon. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, they they didn't really provide that, but I I you know there were plenty of other PR statements uh, throughout the week in that were to be had, and that's what those are. Those are PR statements to me, and I just I would like to hear some of the the science behind all of this. Like it's fine. Like we heard recently with Stephanie stating everyone is having their temperature taken. This is the cutoff point. It's like okay, are you going to have med- medical professionals? Uh, back that up, and and that is sufficient enough. I mean, that to me is like let's go back to this this example, okay? These these two people, and no one was named in any of the WWE's public release here. Were they came into contact with two acute healthcare workers, and let's say that there is there is asymptomatic spread, and in the current they lucked out here with the timing because there was a gap here between tapings. But now you are asking these people to come back one week later. Like everywhere I've seen, it is the recommended self-isolation period is 14 days. And this to me is like you could have spread and suddenly you don't have two weeks to see those symptoms develop. You are back on the road and back there at TV within a week. And if there's some workers like behind the scenes production people they may be stationed and they're working Monday and Friday, Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Like they do not have any kind of time away and nor are all these people being isolated as they're doing these tapings. And I'm looking at all these sports leagues that are talking about the enormous amount of infrastructure they would need to go ahead with these leagues. And it does not include players that are just going to be going going home after games and coming back. It would be they would pretty much be secluded and be completely cut off from everything. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think the decision to not just continue with, I think a set of tapings, but to do them live every single week is, I mean, at best just 
I think highly irresponsible. I, I you know, it. I think you can bring up like the example of uh, I don't know people working locally at a, at their jobs because for whatever reason they are granted that sort of like special privilege. But to to do essentially a traveling like a show comprised of traveling like athletes who are whose job it is to get in there to sweat all over each other um to do some very physically demanding you know health compromising physical activities like that's to me that to me is like one of the first things you completely like deem inappropriate for a time like this um I, it, it it really i think it's just astounding to me like not just the fact that these tapings were scheduled to be allowed to occur but now that they've they're essentially almost proceeding as if everything is normal. They are. And I think that that becomes something of like, again, we look at what is the purpose right now of like these broadcasters of putting this onto your, your screen. The, the absolute baseline reaction for most that want to see this is that it is escapist entertainment that they just want to enjoy wrestling but I think that there is also the question to ask that not only are we watching these shows and there are there really is no reference to what is going on. There are not they have started putting out some PSAs online, the WWE has, but not within the body of the shows. And I would argue that what we're watching is literally a public disservice announcement because if the message is being conveyed to the viewer that this is okay, then it leaves me with the question, well, what else is okay that I'm depriving myself of as I'm trying to isolate myself that I'm watching this and yet I'm being told not to shake hands? There's a disconnect there, and I think that's where we look at maybe not Fox and the USA Network as uh, you know public broadcasters that are there to convey relevant information, but at the very least, I think that this is – going to weigh on people that are watching and saying, why am I going to these great lengths? Like, is this really as bad as everyone's making it out to be? Because I'm watching this wrestling stuff every week and I am seeing, I'm seeing no repercussions. I think it's absolutely laughable that they decided to do PSAs um, when they're like the one, which you can't, you can't even air these on raw because it's so counter to like, how do you go from a don't shake hands PSA to Okay, up next, here's Drew McIntyre and Andrade. Like, I I don't even know how you can do one when you're presenting the other. It's ridiculous. They're completely, like, contradictory. Um, and it just, it, it just reeks of, like, you know, I think their usual MO of, of just using, I think, uh, philanthropy or any sort of, like, thing like that to uh, just allow them to get away with, with other things. And it just... Um, I just think that it takes quite a bit of gall to like be able to pr- promote both of those messages at the same time. I absolutely feel like from day one, you know, seeing these shows is I feel like if you're if you're in the public eye and you're producing, you know, entertainment or any sort of media like this, you have a responsibility of I think whether you know it or not, you are telling your audience what is okay, what you what isn't okay. And by continuing with these shows, you're you're basically giving people the impression that it's fine to continue right now um, unless you have some special privilege. And I guess at this point they feel like they do the excuse that man, 
WWE has ingrained itself in the fabric of society? Are you fucking kidding me? Um, to even hear that in a statement to justify this, these shows continuing, is just like, how stupid do you think we are? I, I mean, evidently, I think there are plenty of people who believe it because there are certainly defenders who will argue that very same line. But God, like, I, I can't, I can't really, I, I, I would hope, I would hope that like 90% of people who read that can see through it as nothing but bullshit. Um, because to me, what we're witnessing right now is nothing but a business transaction with a, a lot of lives being used, I think, um, you know, put at risk for, for that business transaction. To me, it's gone even several steps further that if you were to ask me that's a week ago, it's like, yes, this is clearly a company that is putting that is putting their their economic well-being ahead of the well-being of their performers, their production staff, et cetera, et cetera. When I heard the news that they are also going to go live on top of it, that to me is just so many steps to me beyond just simply reckless. Like this statement that they gave out over the weekend when they were asked about this. We believe it is now more important than ever to provide people with a diversion from these hard times. We are producing content on a closed set with only essential personnel. It goes on and on. It never once addresses the fact that it's not just that you're doing these shows live. It's it, or Sorry, it's not just that you're doing the shows. It's the fact you're steadfast on doing them live. That you, we could be talking right now, Way, and they would have had a month's worth of programming done. And at the very least, all these people can go home now for another month. Hopefully, the country is in better shape a month from now. That's not the case. That's not what we're talking about now. And, you know, it was it was discussed by Dave Meltzer about the language in these contracts with USA and Fox about how many live programs they need per year versus how many taped shows that they're allowed that's not known though. Dave reported were, just to clarify, just for people who aren't aware, Dave reported what that like the the USA contracts allow allows three taped raws. Yeah, he he reported that in the USA Network contract, it calls for it allows for three taped episodes per year, and that would cover you know the holidays and the two European shows that they do each year. He did not. He later clarified that it's unknown what it's it stated in the Fox contract, but again. It is not known if uh, either broadcaster, and I, w- I would have a hard time imagining either broadcaster at this point would be enforcing that. And a great question is, could they enforce that under these set of circumstances uh, versus WWE that is simply doing this right now so that they do not open themselves up to any possibility of either broadcaster holding them accountable for not delivering the am- amount of live episodes Mm-hmm. So all of that was very confusing. Any thoughts on, on that portion of the well, story? Well, I mean, listen, I I can if you tell me like that was the reason I I can understand why logically somebody would make the decision to go live if, you know, they're concerned that they're going to lose out on this contract. Where I I really have a problem with it and and where I feel like the line should absolutely be drawn and shouldn't be compromised is when perhaps you know breaching a contract um perhaps when not breaching a contract also means an elevated level of risk for the human beings that work for your company 
to me, like that, you know, the health of your your staff, the health of their staff's families, and just an overall, I don't know, a feeling of, of like a there being a, I think a, a safe working environment and a safe uh, schedule, and and not putting these people on unnecessary flights. That comes ahead of everything, even if it means I think losing, you know, whatever five hundred million dollar uh, deal that you have. I, I certainly feel like at a time like this, there is room for compromise. And I, again, without knowing the, the language, without knowing the specifics of these details, I, it, it's, it's certainly hard for me to say, but I, I just, I, I can't, nothing about this, like tells me that they are hmm, taking, I think the health and well-being of their staff as number one over, you know, a requirement to fulfill whatever contract that they that they uh, signed. Yeah, and again, it's like to me, I, I just can't imagine that that could be something that could be. It, it would be one thing if WWE could not deliver programming right now. That's not the case, and the reason for that language in the contracts about limiting the amount of taped episodes, it's because of that belief that if we had. If we did not, the reason you want live content is because it's going to, in theory, have a stronger interest level because you're you're going to avoid any results that are being out there and the fact that word will spread. That is not the case right now. There is no difference between a live episode and a taped episode of Raw and SmackDown and NXT for that matter. The only no, difference is WrestleMate. The only difference is just like the a language and a contract. And is like language in a contract, I think, worth jeopardizing, you know, the amount, the amount of people that are working for you? To me, absolutely not. And I think it would also no. be another thing if like, you know, we're talking about a company that was really in dire need of whatever contracts that they've signed. The WWE isn't that company. They are the richest professional wrestling company in the world. They can definitely afford their payroll many times over if they wanted to, even if they were to sit out. For however long, I mean, I guess the danger would be if they felt like this would be a way for one of the networks to completely cancel the contract. Is that a possibility? I, I if WWE were to have their television rights withheld, they would feel that that it is a big number. Um, but no, USA Network is as contingent on satisfying WWE as WWE is on maintaining that deal with Fox um, is SmackDown make or break for them. No, but it's also some of the only original programming they're getting at this moment. And you have just, you are in year one of these multiple year deals that for both sides, it makes no sense to, to shoot, shoot wet, uh, shoot at one another during this crisis and damage the other. That makes no sense for, because you have to come back at some point, we're going to be back to producing television in a normal setting. And both, both sides are invested in working with the other. Um, it's no different than, than TNT. It would make no logical sense for TNT to uh, put any restrictions on AEW that would financially impact this upstart promotion and, and hamper their ability to continue doing business. So like that, that's the part in this that I think on paper, you can look at it and see uh, this, this paranoia on WWE side, but I just don't buy that. That is any kind of reality that we would be talking about here. Um, 
And that kind of takes us to today where uh, the mayor of Orange County, Florida, did this uh, Q&A session and a reporter asked him about the WWE running within the state of Florida. And his response was, I think initially there was a review that was done and they were not initially deemed an essential business. With some conversation with the governor's office uh, regarding the governor's order, they were deemed an essential business. And so therefore, they were allowed to remain open. This also um, was brought to light today, this memo that went out, and it's dated April 9th, but I don't know of anyone that had seen this up until today, where the the state of Florida put out uh, this memo that designates uh, certain essential services within the state, and that includes employees at a professional sports and media production with a national audience, including any athletes, entertainers, production team, executive team, media team, and any others necessary to facilitate including services supporting such production only if the location is closed to the general public. And what that says is it in, in essence opens the floodgates for pretty much if you are on a closed set, it, it seems like you, you can run in, in Florida. And Mark Ramondi even went to the uh, to the office of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and asked, does this mean that a UFC event or a boxing match could be deemed essential? And this person's response, Cody McLeod, it could. The memo does not specify specific sports as long as the event location is closed to the general public. So what they are telling you is, like, if a pro wrestling company wants to run in Florida, this government is not going to turn you down. And they've pretty much set the precedent now with WWE. Like, how can they turn you down? It's stunning at this point of this crisis, of this pandemic. And this is the action we're seeing in Florida. And I went from Friday thinking, like, there was a reasonable chance that the WWE could be in some some catastrophe where these shows get shut down to seeing how this government is reacting to thinking there is virtually no chance that these shows are going to get shut down. You know, hearing something like that, it certainly makes a lot of more sense. I think why Vince McMahon would feel the, the security and, and the leeway to go live every single week as he's decided to do. Um, when you have that type of backing, I, I, I mean, why wouldn't you cover all your bases and make sure that, you know, your exact requirements as stated in your contracts are fulfilled uh, again, you know, without like at the risk of your per traveling performers, of course, but come on, whatever, as long as the government's on your side, you can get away with it. Um, to hear something like that, to hear that, you know, that type of leadership it exists in such a, such a important part of the world, um, it 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 gives me concern that this thing's going to be around a lot longer than it needs to be. So that is the latest on that. I, I don't know what more how much more to add to this. We we I should also like I have... we should also of course reiterate that the whole XFL thing took place this week as well. So it was, you know, a big week for Vince McMahon. Oh, that, that's next on the list. So yeah, well, let's move on over to the XFL. So on Monday, the league officially filed for chapter eleven bankruptcy in the district of Delaware. And just looking at the filing, um, 
There's a range of creditors uh, between 1,000 and 5,000, and their estimated assets as well as liabilities is listed between 10 and $50 million each. Uh, now, in the breakdown here of the ownership, uh, Vince McMahon controlled all of the Class A shares, and he controlled 76.5% of the Class B shares, with the remaining 23.5% of those shares uh, controlled by World Wrestling Entertainment. And a lot was made of this today about the WWE's involvement in the league. And, you know, there was the side of, you know, of how this was somewhat hidden. But in reality, there had been several um, filings by WWE that did state an involvement with the league. However, that said, to counter the argument, Vince McMahon was also somewhat deceptive about this on the earnings call back in February. And I have posted those like SEC filings, but what we had known is that in April of 2018, there was a, there was an agreement in place where there was no money paid by WWE, but they did take on um, an equity stake in the company and, and thus uh, had at least some, some, particular ownership of the company. We never knew how much it was. And then they went more into detail in their 10K filing uh, this past February. But on the earnings call back in February, a day before this this 10K was filed that explained a lot of this, um, you know, Vince McMahon was asked if WWE plans to invest or partner or even merge with the XFL. And he flat out said, no, the XFL is a separate entity uh, completely. And uh, then went on just to uh, mention how many employees they have. But he was very much giving on that call a sense that it is church and state between WWE and Alpha Entertainment. But if you looked at the filings, they they did discuss this relationship between WWE and Alpha Entertainment. So um, I don't believe like this is something where I think it's going to be um, a cause for any, any kind of uh, – scandal because they do have the paperwork that backs up this relationship but it was like a deceptive answer he gave on that earnings call back in february you know it's really hard to say but like do you expect there having like there being any repercussions on the wrestling side of things uh whether it be simply vince mcmahon having you know a sole focus now in, in professional wrestling or um could this i would say you know this I would say a pretty public embarrassment now, you know, having the XFL fail. And obviously this time completely against any wrongdoing of his own. This was totally out of his hands. But having, I think, that public embarrassment, does that um, change perhaps how he may run his own professional wrestling company? I mean, now he doesn't have the burden of trying to do both on his plate any longer. So in theory, that opens him up to be more available for WWE related business. Um, I mean, in the, on the one hand, it it is a, it, it's a sizable loss. Like there's, there's no getting around that. It, this thing was going to lose a lot of money before they even um, could, could look at the, the prospect of, of a television deal. Like they were probably going to have to go through two seasons of this before, uh, they would they would have uh, kind of an, an idea of what would be at the end of the at the end of the road here. So, I mean, in some ways, his losses were mitigated when you look at how much stock he sold and appeared to have earmarked to lose in getting this thing off the ground. 
I mean, this did cut things short because had the season continued and gone to the end, it would have just been more money lost. I mean, the only thing that these networks were paying for, they were paying uh, for like production costs, but it was, you know, not going to be covering the the overall uh, weekly costs and all of the employees that they had that they had to let go. Um, the stadium leases, like you can look at the creditors. Some of these head coaches, uh, you know, are are some of the highest listed creditors of uh, what what is owed. So, I, I I don't know what Vince McMahon's next move is because you know mentally he was prepared to spend all of this money and he didn't spend all of it. And does he simply go back to just focused on WWE? This is also not a economy that is probably best set for ambitious ideas and um, launching any kind of entertainment or sports property today, I would say. Right. Um, so uh, you can read more about that, but that's pretty much the the end of version two of the XFL. And one other note here, we have, oh yeah, the... This seems to uh, kind of pale in comparison, but the NXT interim cruiserweight title tournament will begin on Wednesday, and they're doing uh, pretty much a round-robin style of tournament where we'll have two blocks consisting of four wrestlers in each block. The first one has Kushida, Drake Maverick, Tony Nese, and Jake Atlas. Group B has Isaiah, Swerve Scott, El Hio Del Fantasma, Akira Tozawa, and Jack Gallagher. So this will begin on Wednesday each each member of the group will face the other three, and then the two with the best records will meet in the finals, and any tiebreakers will be broken by the head-to-head record with whoever they're tied with. It's uh, it's an impressive lineup, I would say, and mm-hmm. I, th- I think we're interested to see what they do with this tournament. Yeah, I think NXT you know, and Triple H have always done pretty well with their in-house tournament, and I think you know, in this time playing with a smaller pool of people uh, going the round robin route, I think makes a lot of sense. It's a great chance for people to showcase themselves that haven't been on TV too much yet. You know, people like Jake Atlas, people like Swerve. Um, I think it'll it, it it'll at least I think uh, provide some really good opportunity to you know have them show a variety of what they can do. Of course, you know the big difference there is that this is an empty arena uh, set of shows. Um, but I I will say I think. There seems to be at least a, a a level of interest from people who maybe aren't feeling completely satisfied with what other offerings they're getting right now to be able to just, you know, get what what promises to be like a good level of cruiserweight action. Do, do we know where it's going to air? Um, I think it's being done like on NXT. So it'll all take not 205 Live. I d- uh, they, they were promoting on tonight's Raw that it will start on NXT. So I don't know if we'll see some on 205 Live. They may split it up. Right. Okay. So, yeah. I mean, it's a, yeah, it, it's a good lineup. I think you'll get some great matches um, out of it. And and hopefully uh, a, a proper reset of Jake Atlas after kind of just throwing him out there to just get beat. Yeah, I mean, I think as we've seen from like, you know, NXT booking, guys can often just go out there and lose and then they'll just pretty much p- pretend it never happened. Like, I mean, look, look at Austin Theory. That's right. Okay, so all the other news you can find at postwrestling.com. We move over to Raw and tonight's show was live from the Performance Center. So wait, WrestleMania is out of the way. You're sitting down tonight. 
and what is going through your mind as you're sitting down to watch Raw? Are you looking forward to this show? Oh, am I looking forward to it? This weekend, no. Because I think the first, my first instance of sitting down was just being, I mean, I, I've just, I, I would say I've been paying attention to, I think, everything but the wrestling thus far when it comes to WWE this weekend. And I think just the further knowledge that this, this show is, was what, was this live or was it like close to live? I, I don't know how, I, I don't know if it was, um, it was, uh, at the yeah, very least it know. took place today. Okay, it took place. No, yep. knowing knowing that this took place today, and that you know these people ha- had had to either stay behind over the weekend or uh, fly in just for this, I I had like over the past several weeks, especially during WrestleMania, I've kind of been able to, you know, um, forget about some of the um, more more of my moral sensitivity uh, when it comes to these shows, especially knowing that they were taking extra precautions to t- bulk tape these things, changing the match every single match. I, I appreciate those things, but then to like know that they were going to go the other direction and to inconvenience everybody and put everybody at risk by doing these shows live. And um, anyway, that just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So I, I, I can tell you that I wasn't really looking forward to this because all of those things were kind of at the top of my mind. Yeah, and they were for me, too, like as I'm watching this show and like, what is Rey Mysterio doing on this show? Mm hmm. And there's there's probably a number of them. At the top of them, uh, Jerry Lawler, seventy year old Jerry Lawler, flew back. He he's here Ugh. again. I mean, um, you, you can say what you want, and there's plenty of criticism that you can level at AEW. But I mean, they after one week uh, realized that they should not be flying in certain people. And with WWE, they clearly feel comfortable enough flying Jerry Lawler in and. Hearing Jerry Lawler on his podcast, I mean, this is someone that I don't think really understands the coronavirus. You know, his his rationale was that, you know, in the beginning, we thought that this was going to affect older people, but it turns out this thing can affect everybody. Um, and so that was kind of his thought of like, he wants to go to Raw and that's fine. Like there's a lot of misinformation that's out there. There needs to be people that have the best interest of Jerry Lawler in mind. And I try my best to always give the benefit of the doubt, but I feel WWE has really exhausted that benefit of the doubt at this point, And I no longer provide it. Yeah. And all, you know, ultimately this is Jerry Lawler's decision. Um, if, if that's how he feels, man, uh, I don't know. That's my my whole problem with this though is that if this if we were talking about something that it ultimately is going to affect you I can only be so um bothered by a decision like that because ultimately it is you that is putting yourself into that position and you are the one that will feel the consequences of that. That is not what this virus is and that's why it's it's hard for me to hear people talk about um how they will deal with this problem when it will not just be them that potentially deals with this. This guy in theory is getting onto an airplane tomorrow and is going to be flying home. And who will he come into contact with tomorrow? And, and what will the ensuing days be? And who knows what he exposed himself to tonight. And that goes for everybody on this show. And I don't know. I just don't have a satisfactory response from this company into how you are, putting health and safety first 
um, which is absolutely an inaccurate statement. There's no way you can, you can say that maybe that's in our top 15 priorities. That is not your number one priority as long as you are doing these shows in this, in this presentation. And, and when they say that only essential members of the crew are, are let in, I really do have to question how much they're following that. Because I can tell you by listening to this commentary, you do not need a three-person commentary team. And somebody like Jerry Lawler, to me, adds absolutely nothing to this broadcast. Does not heighten it in the least. Um, I mean, I kind of felt that way anyway, um, even before this whole coronavirus thing, but I mean, shit, like, especially at a time like this, I think you just whittle it down to as little few people as you possibly can. A one person team, if you have to, is, has been perfectly to me acceptable having two people there. Sure. That's optimal, but three people, it abs absolutely adds nothing. I, I would, I would say the same for your backstage interviewers. I don't think you need both Sarah and Charlie there. You don't need, like, right now, it really feels like they're pretty much operating with, like, a pretty standard crew here. You know, outside of the audience members, maybe a few more, like, maybe fewer battle royals. But beyond that, like, it, it, it just feels like it's all hands on deck. And I really can't imagine that's following, you know, guidelines to only allow essential staff members in. Did you hear what UFC was going to do with their commentary team uh, if they did the pay-per-view? Yeah, DC said it was going to be him, Rogan, and who else? And John Anik. I thought Rogan had said he wasn't going to go. He, it, it was very strange because Joe Rogan said he was not going to do it. And then Dana White said he is going to do it. And then after the fact, when they canceled it, said Rogan was on board to do it. Um, but when Rogan heard the cancellation in real time, he was doing a show. His immediate response was, well, that forces me to not have to think about uh, this. And it didn't, it seemed like when he was reacting that he was going to do it, but he had not fully made that decision yet. So that's what it seems like. Regardless, they were going to be stationed at different parts around the octagon. They would not be together. Does that make any difference? These are people still getting off of planes. Who knows like where they're going to be? They're, oh, they're there's still I mean, risk. Probably I sharing, mean, it's just sharing catering. Like to me, that's just more PR bullshit. That, like, you know, while you're in front of a camera, we're showing that people are separated. But come on. Like, that to me, that means nothing. Yeah. Um, so anyway, the show begins. We've got the three on commentary. Drew McIntyre comes out, and he just looks into the camera, thanking everyone at home for allowing him into their living room. Um, thankfully, they're not offering Drew McIntyre in your actual living room. Yeah, no thanks. So he said it's an honor for their locker room to be here. He talks about how positive the internet has been since he won the title and recaps his match with the big show and did commentary over the highlights as we watched this from last week. He's going to be the champion that shows up. Anyone that deserves a shot will get one. And he gets interrupted by Andrade, Zelina Vega. Vega did a Scottish accent to make fun of him, which um, is an accent you're allowed to... That that's one of the accents you can do, right? Yeah. Certain accents so. you can't do. He had an injury, Andrade, that robbed him of his WrestleMania moment, and then they bring up their TakeOver War Games match from 2017, where Andrade beat Drew for the NXT title, and in delivering the Hammerlock DDT, um, beat him for the title, but that was also the match where Drew uh, tore his biceps, and was out for six months, so they played up on that history, and this set up the main event for tonight. 
I thought this was a pretty good segment. You know, if the requirement was to come up with a justifiable number one contender in about five minutes, I thought they did a good job. Bringing up the fact that Andrade holds a notable win over Drew back in NXT, the fact that Andrade himself holds a secondary title, I, I thought immediately kind of catapulted him into the, like a justifiable Raw main event. And I thought Drew sounded very good. Zelina sounded very good. For a short build, I thought it was done well. It was good to build on their their history and make that part of their story on, on Raw. Um, I like that part. Asuka and Ruby Riot was our first Money in the Bank qualifying match. They had quite some time here. Lawler identified Ruby Riot as the girl with the dragon tattoo and the grizzly bear tattoo. And I think I see an alligator tattoo. She All has right. a lot of tattoos. Yes. Thank you for flying in for that. Yep. Oh, he, he had his gems ready for later. Way. Uh, Riot fought back. There were, it was a big clothesline to the back of the neck. Missed with the, uh, the trust fall off the turnbuckle. Asuka applies the Asuka lock, but Ruby Riot rolls on top of her for two, which seems to be a near fall they're really enjoying after they had Becky beat Shayna with it. Flatliner onto Asuka, and then Riot goes for this Rings of Saturn. They trade covers back and forth, and it ends with the Asuka lock, and Ruby Riot taps out in 13 minutes. So Asuka is in the women's Money in the Bank ladder match. Good match, very aggressive pace. I, I think Riot looked really good here, doing this type of stiff physical style with somebody like Asuka. Um, you know, like with many of the matches, I don't know if it's just the crowd or if it's just the length of the shows, but like... I definitely still felt like this one maybe went a little bit longer than it needed to. Like they had almost like maybe missed their exit off of the ramp here before ending the match. Um, but it certainly was no Aleister Black versus um, Apollo Crews last week. Um, no, they didn't get four segments. No, they got about two or three. I, I, I forget what here, but um, it was good. It was a good match overall. Yeah, good for what it was. I... I don't know if it was just um, this particular week, but it the atmosphere to me was tougher than ever this week. Uh, I, I found this Raw excruciatingly slow. It was long, and I think what what makes a difference is that you're seeing so much in so much more in ring action. You know, in previous weeks, yep. a lot of that was broken up by either promos or um, you know archival matches. You're not getting that with these shows um, for whatever reason. I mean, I guess this one because they did fly all that crew, all that crew in. You're getting a lot of in-ring content on. I don't know if they're paying attention to like numbers and thinking that people really want to see in-ring action, but um, I certainly do get the sense that they're dragging some of these matches out, putting a lot more matches on, uh, and you know, in many cases, filling TV time with in-ring content. Yeah, it's clear like that is what they're going with. I don't think it's going to make a one iota of difference. If anything, I think it's going to be people tuning out um, in droves earlier than waiting for the third hour. I think that this month is going to be really rough when it comes to their viewership, in particular Raw, because I I cannot imagine watching these shows at this point. I, I'm so done with the empty arena shows at this point. I would be taking a hiatus until things... Uh, I'd just be watching different things at this point. Like I, I that's that's kind of where I'm at I, for all of these empty arena shows, regardless of company. I, I mean, I certainly feel like they they do care about ratings to an extent, but I think their their main concern to me is less show quality and more the fact that they can actually deliver a show so they can get paid. 
Uh, Charlie interviewed Asuka in the ring. She just said no one's ready for her. And then they teed up NXT for this week, previewing that Charlotte would be on the show and we'd get the start of the Cruiserweight title tournament. Backstage, it's MVP's VIP lounge. And he said that next week, there will be three more Money in the Bank qualifying matches and they will all be first time ever matches. We're going to get Rey Mysterio versus Murphy. Alistair Black versus Austin Theory. And then the last one, he says, Apollo Crews will be taking on arguably one of the best ladder match performers ever. And he has this long pause and everyone is dreading that they're going to put Edge into this match and therefore money in the bank. But he announces himself taking on Apollo Crews for the first time ever. This guy MVP just keeps like getting dragged back in. I thought... I thought that was <laughs> remember when he retired <laughs> yeah that 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 first one and then he keeps coming back which is yeah sure why not cool so uh i i you know the fact that they're all three ladder match qualifiers gives them all a purpose and the fact that they're all brand new i think they look pretty good on paper all these matches alistair black took on oni lorkin i was actually intrigued by this i thought this could be really a a good match uh Black landed a quebrada and then booted him to the floor. They went through the break. Lorkin got the, the half crab uh, taught to him by Lance Storm. Black then escaped. Uh, Oni Lorkin, Jerry Lawler notes, reminds him of Cesaro and makes fun of his name, saying that must be his real name because no one could make that name up. As oh, you could tell this was the first time he, he's ever seen Oni Lorkin. Yes, and probably never met Christopher Gerard, the man that plays Oni Lorkin. Yeah. Uh, there was a sliding knee strike. Lorkin comes back with a lariat, and then there's some chops from Lorkin, screams, flying knee from Black, and then lifts him for the Black Mass. Nine minutes, 37 ma- seven seconds. I thought, good. Um, I, I still feel Alistair Black would be in the, the upper percentage of guys delivering matches uh, in these empty arena settings. Um, but I wouldn't say that this uh, hit the level that I think these two are capable of. But still a good match. Oh, certainly not. I, I mean, it's... It's it's really tough, but I, I you know it, you can really only judge this by like essentially it's wrestling with the sound off, you know, um, very hard hitting, very physical. I mean, I guess in an empty arena, the loud spacking really does come through. It was a fine dis- physical display um, that ultimately I think just resulted in another exhibition for Black. Sarah Schreiber then interviewed Alistair Black and asked, "What is your game plan for Austin Theory?" Game plan? My game plan is to win. Which is a f- fucking great plan. Yeah, was it? Was this just a, cr- a critique about how bad her question was? I almost thought, like, they clearly, they they actually had a line scripted to make fun of Charlie's line of questioning. So uh, that's what this kind of felt like as well. Hmm. Okay. He should have gone into, like, a deep, like, analysis of his game plan. Yeah, well, I'm going to kick I'm gonna him break really down hard. the legs with my kicks. That's going to make him susceptible for the knee strike. And then I'm going to kick him in the balls. That's the theory that I'm going to present to Austin. All right. Then they promoted, finally, for all this time, the return of the man. It's the first time since WrestleMania because way she was off last week. Okay. She's yep. back. Yeah. Becky came out to address Shayna Baszler and said that this was a battle of the mind. 
Some might think Becky is arrogant, but maybe she wanted Shayna to believe that and said that the only person that's ever able to get close enough to the queen to destroy her is the Joker because they don't pose a threat. And that's why she is champion. She basically called herself like the, the court jester of the women's division. Was that her kind of like commenting about how she was maybe acting a fool during the build wearing like Jerry Lawler's crown and things like that? Yeah, that was a week. What were the those glasses that she wore? Was that, was that supposed to be the story? I don't know. It was yeah. such a long time ago. It's one of those where I don't think like the build up really um was as accurate as what Becky was laying it out to be. However, mm-hmm. that said, I'm glad it wasn't either that we didn't have to watch her be an idiot for six weeks just so we could hear this promo and say, oh, okay. That's why she was, um, I don't know, um, throwing apples at Shayna Baszler. Yeah. River dancing. (laughs) She said Shayna was born to bully. Becky was born to survive anything. And challenges anyone who wins the contract at Money in the Bank to come for her. She will always have a plan, and she will shock the world if anyone thinks that they can beat her. Yep. That was it. Thanks for coming. Charlie interviewed Andrade and Vega, and Vega got on Charlie for not pronouncing Andrade properly and calling him Andrade. Mm-hmm. So okay. she makes fun of the questions. Drew had one great night, and Andrade's been defending his U.S. title for months, which is probably a reminder for people that Andrade is the U.S. champion. Yeah, like in the past, I guess, like, people like The Rock would just straight up make fun of the interviewers, but now it's the joke is making fun of the interviewers' questions. On Netflix, the number three show in the U.S. is The Big Show Show. Uh, I've heard, yeah. Have you seen it yet? No, I have not. However, a friend of mine messaged me to tell me, hey, I don't know if you've heard about this, but there's a show on Netflix with the big show. So it yeah, did, you're, you're a wrestling it, fan. You might like this, John. I don't know if I will get around to watching the big show show. To be honest, like I wasn't that down on the idea of this. I was like, Paul White in a like sitcom comedy. I was like, this, this might be okay. And then I've, I've, I've heard one review, and that's all I need from Davey Portman that makes me much less interested in even sampling this. Mm, okay. Have you happened to watch any uh, – did you hear that Saturday Night Live tried a show on Saturday? I watched a bit of it, yeah. How how was it? Because I watched another sketch comedy show. on. Actually, I watched – I listened to Bill Maher's show on Friday, and then I watched another sketch comedy show that was done on Zoom – Mm-hmm. And man, there for Bill Maher, he does his opening monologue and they have canned laughter underneath it and it's not good. Then he does a bit during the middle of the show where it's all punchlines but no laughter. So it's just silence. It's like, this is dreadful. This is so bad. So I'm wondering, did Saturday Night Live have any more success? Because my wife watched it and was not too impressed with it. Well, I mean, to start off with Tom Hanks, and Tom Hanks, you know, everybody knows has been kind of deep into this, but like he was hosting it from his living room and basically delivered a monologue. And it that was incredibly awkward because, you know, I, as we've seen, um, much like I would say professional wrestling, 
I, I think this is even more amplified when you're trying to do comedy. And I would say the same when it comes to even comedic professional wrestling in front of an empty audience. If there's nobody there to laugh at your punchlines, it is the saddest thing. You know, it's brutal. It's brutal. I, and I will say, like, I th- I've, I've been following Jimmy Kimmel as well. He's been doing daily, basically, monologues uh, on YouTube. And I think the way he gets around it is that he speeds through the jokes. He doesn't even leave the gaps there for people to, like, um, react because otherwise it mm-hmm. just comes across awkward. And I don't know what the intent was with the Tom Hanks thing, but there's clear, like, a lot, clearly a lot of editing going on where, like, in between Hanks' jokes, they would cut out whatever silence that there was so that it would basically kind of zip through. And by the end, I, I think it, he, you know, it made it through maybe some, some funny jokes there, but for the most part, I would say jarring considering it was Saturday night live and mm, not, not very smooth. Um, I, I really do applaud them for the attempt. I mean, I think what you got to see was like a lot of people shoot their own things with their own ideas to varying degrees of success, as I think is typically the case with Saturday Night Live. Um, I think there was, honestly, like, I, I I stuck with it for about half an hour, and I hadn't had enough. Like, I'd, I'd rather, like, I was kind of flipping back between that and, and uh, the DJ Premier Rizzo thing, which was far more entertaining. So, uh, it was a worthy attempt. You know what I'm, I'm so looking forward to is the... Um... Have you heard about the the Last Dance uh, documentary series that ESPN is releasing this Sunday? I have not. What's that? It's a ten part series. The first two episodes are going to air Sunday night on ESPN, and it's a document. It's ten episodes on the ninety seven ninety eight Chicago Bulls. Oh, and I don't. I I think I would be interested in this regardless. But right now, I'm so looking forward to this. Like this is my era that I I so religiously followed basketball and it is so in Canada it's on Netflix the next day and I'm so looking forward to this series I'm just gonna love it I'm happy I'm happy for you well there you go good to have things to look forward to yes uh Sarah Logan and Shayna Baszler I was not looking forward to uh Baszler comes out she doesn't give a comment to Sarah Schreiber uh, completely non-essential with Sarah Schreiber on this show. The, the Sarah, asked, gets on- Sarah asked Shayna about whether or not she has any thoughts on Ronda Rousey's derogatory comments over the weekend. So they're they're bringing that up on on air. They're they're just yeah, it's um, trying to weave all of that stuff in. So like, so what do you expect Ronda to come back sooner than we thought? I think this is simply just uh, plant, planting seeds. I think it'd be a an awful idea to bring her back here in this setting. Could they be planting Why? seeds like for WrestleMania this early? I I can see Ronda coming back. I, I could see something where maybe she comes back in the fall and does like a program leading up to WrestleMania versus just doing Mania. Um, I, I also think they just, you know, worked in, you know, this line just to kind of keep Ronda's name out there as well. Right. Anyway, Baszler just beats down Sarah Logan, stomps the right elbow, and the referee calls it off at 52 seconds. So the announcer says, the winner of the match, Sarah Logan. And the announcers have to later correct it and say, no, Shayna's the winner because the referee stopped it. And Baszler throws these chairs around on her way to the back. Adam Pierce is in to check on Logan, who is crying from her elbow being 
stomped into two pieces. And that was the end of Sarah Logan. So was that a screw up? The announcer? Yeah. It sounded like it. Yeah, it sounded like it too. So I wonder if that would have been something that they would have um, cut if they had the ability to. So uh, maybe it was live. Yeah, it seemed like a pretty clear error. And the announcers just had to cover for it. Um, I I really like this. I think they they have done in two weeks a good job of rehabbing Shane and following the loss to Becky. I thought the promo last week I really enjoyed made her sound scary and gave her character new direction following the loss. She is somebody who is now incredibly pissed off and even angrier now that she has lost to Becky Lynch. And this continued it in ring. Um, if you're going to put somebody over, like put them over strong in, in the form of a one minute arm break. I thought uh, there's something really creepy and badass about her just leaving and not even hearing her music getting played. I love that. I, I also thought Sarah's Sarah Logan's crying. I I felt it was effective too. So I felt she was a worthy sacrifice to rebuild Shayna. Seth Rollins was backstage and he stayed stationary in this one position all night in a trance. He said he lost to Kevin Owens at WrestleMania. His career has been crucified. So we were going to get the Messiah's Easter themed promos all night. Oh man. Like there's just something so cringy about seeing Seth Rollins try to act. Um, and it, it especially rough when he's not acting as an extension of himself like he used to. Like at least his character before was like, "Heh, yeah," like the, just like a bro sort of thing. But now he's trying to like be, oh man, cult leader or like something that you know he's got absolutely zero real life experience with. And Th- this just, is the line Edge said, where it's. It's painfully obvious the ones who have acting experience and the ones who don't. Yeah, I would say um, it's pretty obvious Seth has absolutely none. Because I, I, listen, I, I think I give him a lot of credit for like trying something new. But man, I wish he was, I wish he could have had this trying part off a of camera, off screen. Because man, having multiple segments of this acting, I, I, it was really hard to watch. Akira Tozawa versus Austin Theory. Selena Vega's on commentary. And a, a big part of tonight's show was getting over the heel unit of, Akira, of Austin Theory, Angel Garza, and Andrade. And it was like, I thought a really well done formula where you were going to have Theory, Garza, and Andrade run rough shot on everyone. And the other two were going to get big wins. And then it would tease like Andrade being this threat for Drew McIntyre. And I, I really liked what they did with the the four of them too, with uh, Zelina on commentary here as well. There was a lot of Z- Zelina on the show. And, you know, if if there's anybody who I would say kind of benefited f- from Andrade's, you know, misfortunes over the past several months, it's absolutely Z- Zelina. And really by extension, I would even say Andrade as well. Because now Zelina has amassed this stable, has involved herself in several storylines. And, you know, she, I think for the first time in... In many years, we're getting like a manager, kind of like on the level of, of like a Bobby Heaton, who is leading her own faction, uh, being involved in a number of, you know, different feuds. And Zelina is a talent that I think more than deserves it. She's proven that she's very capable, and I would say she's been pretty underutilized. So to see her in this light as sort of like a a, a big threat to the entire locker room, I, I thought was great. 
Theory was in control for a long time. Um, pressed Tozawa in the air, and he came down with a Rana, sending Austin to the floor. Tozawa runs off the apron with a running senton, which was identified by Jerry Lawler as the ramen noodle moonsault. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that that level of expert analysis is somebody we absolutely needed. We needed this, you know? Um, yeah. Uh, I think he's terrible. I don't know anybody who... I, I know there's some people that actually enjoy him, and I really can't tell you why. Because he, to me, has not offered anything... Uh, he doesn't pay attention to the re- to the wrestling. He's only the only wrestling I'm I'm sure he watches is what he's there to call, um, and just lines like that are. Just you know what's so weird? Ridiculous. You know what's so weird is that he has like it's it's well known. Like he does not do any prep work. He does not. This is not a guy that is a someone that goes home and spends any time watching any wrestling at all. His love is actually doing the wrestling. And he has said he has never enjoyed doing commentary. And yet here he is adamant about flying from Memphis to Florida to do these shows. And like what, what enjoyment are you getting out of this? Well, I'm sure his bank account's enjoying it. I mean, at the very least it's yeah. Um, I guess. There's an octopus applied by Tozawa. Theory breaks it and hits him with his version of the TKO, which is the ATL, the Austin Theory launch, and wins in seven minutes, nine seconds. Mm-hmm. This uh, this sets up Tozawa well for this tournament. Oh, yes. Now he's got a brand new move. Well, no, he took the move. No, he's got the ramen noodle moonsault. Oh, sorry. <laughs> of course. Yeah, that could uh, that could be the difference maker in all of this. Mm-hmm. I, I really hope that we get um, maybe Kushida and Tozawa in the finals, and Jerry Lawler can uh, can come to NXT that Wednesday and call Please. that. That would be wonderful. We'd have a ramen noodle moon salt, maybe like a fried rice, uh, four fifty, like you know, go down the menu. Angel Garza and Andrade then joined Austin Theory, attacking Tozawa and hitting the draping DDT off the turnbuckle, which is the way in which Andrade beat Drew McIntyre at the TakeOver event in 2017. So I I like these, um, the utilization of them, getting the move over, and really putting some focus on this this heel group. Yeah, we should also mention that, you know, at the end here, they all, uh, after they they beat up Andrade, they do the Los Angeles Bernabeles, uh, fist pose in the air together. So, you know, I guess you can kind of read into perhaps this being a, re- a reincarnation of, of that group within the, the WWE. Yeah, well, I guess the, they're on the bench right now, so they, they can assume the gimmick. I guess so. Charlie is backstage with Rey Mysterio, and they say that money in the bank has always eluded Rey, and he brings up how his title reign ended in 2010 when Kane cashed in the money in the bank contract so he knows how dangerous that contract can be. First, he has to beat Murphy. He's got a bright future, but Murphy doesn't want it as bad as I do. And that was Rey Mysterio's entire contribution on this show uh, coming from California. 
Man. Um, well, um, maybe he, I hope his hotel room was really nice. Maybe he had a great time uh, in the hotel room. I hope they put him up in a penthouse by himself. Yeah. 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 Uh, on a, on a typical week, I think it would kind of suck, you know, to like make it all the way to town only to do a short backstage segment. But especially now, I can't imagine just how. Oh, uh, man. How, a, like, a guy who. Not a even guy who guy, did just like self quarantine to be safe a few weeks ago. Yes. Rollins is backstage again. He says, everyone needs something to have faith in. I am still here for you. Your Messiah has truly risen. Mm hmm. Because it was Easter Monday. Oh, yes, yes. Angel Garza versus Tahuti Miles. And Garza comes out, and his fiance is now a photographer in WWE. I couldn't believe this. And he kissed her on the cheek and handed her a rose. Well, they do not acknowledge her as a as her as his fiance. They treat her as if she's just a employee, like a like a ringside photographer for the website. Um, yeah, and I, I I assume they only did all this just so that they can have Garza do the kissing gimmick. Um, so yeah, everyone, we, we don't want to let you know that 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 that's his fiance. No, feel free to just go up and kiss a random stranger. At any time, you should not be doing that, but especially during this pandemic. But hey, they really like the spot. They do. I mean, the the real world stops when Raw begins. That's that's what you need to know. Okay. Mm -hmm. Pants come off. He hits Miles with a tree of woe, uh, with a kick to the body, and then the wing clipper in two and a half minutes. Very quick. And then they repeated the same. Uh, Post match we saw earlier with Andrade hitting the hammerlock DDT to Tahuti Miles. Mm -hmm. Garza's looking good, very charismatic in the midst of this beatdown. Um, strong, strong booking of, I would say, those two members of this group. Sarah Schreiber interviewed the Kabuki Warriors, and then we had Charlie speaking to Drew McIntyre, who showed off the scar on his left arm that Andrade left, and he looks at it several times a week to remind himself how he missed six months and how nearly everything he worked for was almost taken away from him. And he promises to hurt Andrade, even if it means taking him out for six months tonight. Did they actually ever show that footage from the match? Of which match? Of um, TakeOver? No, I never saw it uh, tonight. Yeah, like I was really surprised, you know, like you know, for, for a match, a main event that was, I mean, essentially built as a rematch of that particular NXT match. Why wouldn't you drop that footage in here? It's a very strange question because – or not a strange question, but why they wouldn't. And because whenever you ask a question like that, my go-to is to think of if I was paranoid, what would my – what would be my reasoning? And the best I can give you is their reluctance to show Andrade actually pinning Drew McIntyre even though we'll reference it. We don't want to give people that visual. What the hell? That's the best I can do. Because why? Because how can you explain not not airing that? You know, maybe nobody was working at Stanford. I don't know, dude. This yeah. is the part. This is the part of our comments where <laughs> they did show it at some point, going to commercial break or something, and we missed it, and we've gone down this hole too too far. So bring it on, everybody. Yeah, correct us, Charlotte, as usual. <laughs> 
Charlotte comes out. Yeah, she just goes on about the potential opponents that she could have chosen and how Rhea Ripley wanted to face Charlotte and kept calling her the next big thing. And Charlotte is the biggest thing who Vince McMahon knew was the biggest thing. And that's why she, he chose Charlotte last year to save the main event of WrestleMania. This year, Ripley chose the queen because Ripley wants to be just like her. And then quoting Daniel Cormier said, there are levels to this. Okay, yeah. A pretty standard Charlotte promo, I thought. Did, did we skip over the Nia match? Uh, yes, we did. Um, I was just going to move on. But yes, there was a match before this. Uh, Kyrie Sane and Nia Jax. Oscar uh, was backstage and just screaming at this screen watching Kyrie. And it was just Jax un- literally annihilating her because that's the new name of her finish. She tosses Kyrie around, presses her into the air, into the Samoan drop, the Annihilator, to win in two minutes and 36 seconds. How do you like the Annihilator? Oh, is that how they're spelling it? I don't know how they're spelling it. They, they just called to. it the Annihilator, but it, it, it's it got to be one of those goofy WWE spelling finishers now. I, I think it's pretty pretty good. Sure. Maybe they'll give yeah. her the Jack's Hammer as well, now that Goldberg's gone. The Jax Hammer, is that was that the name of her last move? Uh didn't didn't she she started using that, but I don't think they ever called it the Jax Hammer. But she she did start using that move as I recall. Oh, I, I don't remember. Because I uh, think I've made this pun before. Okay. I like but it. The I Annihilator. Like it it's fine, yeah, it's good. I I thought, you know, Nia here. I don't know what it was like. I, I, it's been such a long time since, since I've seen her wrestle, so I almost forget how she looked. But to me, it, it looked like she was doing a much more basic, kind of looking kind of like giant stuff here. Um, and really, it would just required Kyrie bumping all over for her. It, but it was fine. I think they they were booking these qualifiers very strong. They didn't half ass at any of them. You know, you had Shayna basically, you know, in in fifty seconds, uh, completely destroy. Uh, Sarah Logan, Naya essentially did the same here with uh, uh, Kyrie Sane, and then you had Asuka in more of a back and forth battle. But I think Asuka is not so much like uh, has not been really booked as a giant anyway. But she looked very strong in her match, so I would say the three qualifiers were all you know made to look very strong. I'm just going to be upfront with everyone. I was like almost in a coma at this point of Raw. It <laughs> was it was unbelievably long, and I was just. I'm gonna, I'm gonna give myself an out that, um, which actually my internet was multiple times tonight. It was just I, I've had this. Uh, there's apparently a big internet outage in my area where it's been very spotty all day long. So I was getting cut off during RAW as well, and then catching up. But this this show to me was just the. I was so out of it. So mm-hmm. takeaways no. critique above mine. Uh. I I I I'll say for myself I, I I certainly felt it more with this show and I don't know if it's that's that's simply you know like we said I think to me an overabundance of like in ring matches that absolutely had zero build up and really meant nothing um, plus I think a lack of variety in you know n- n- uh, segments as well like se- even like the promo spots were so short it's it's just straight wrestling for eighty percent of the show. It it really to me is has, is is a glaring difference now between um, AEW and I would even say NXT and Raw and SmackDown, where I think 
Raw and SmackDown, the way that they produce their shows, they need everything to be done like the day of or or with the crew that's actually there. Whereas you see AEW, the amount of variety that you get on that particular show where you have somebody sending in their own footage, their own promos. You have Darby Allen sending his own thing or you have, you know, um, like the Bucks shooting their own thing and then sending that in. It just adds like or, or what is it? Jack Swagger and, and, you know, John Moxley this past week. Having those pre-produced elements really breaks things up. Um, on this show, it just felt, especially at three hours, incredibly monotonous. Uh, so th- that's when the Charlotte promo happened. And then we had Bobby Lashley against No Way Jose. Lana's in the corner and she's screaming instructions at Lashley to the point that he goes to the floor and tells her, shut the hell up. And this allows Jose to land a punch and Lashley just hits him with a belly to belly and the spear. But then Lana distracts him. And this leads to a roll up where we're to buy No Way Jose somehow pinning Lashley. But he kicks out, slams him and spears No Way Jose in a minute 47 to win the match. But continuing the problems between Bobby Lashley and Lana. It's basically it. Yeah. So uh, how many more weeks of this? I wonder. Probably eight minimum. Right. Okay. Back to Rollins. He is going to stomp out all doubt tonight and non-believers have left him no choice. Yeah, it was like... It was basically like five sentences split into three segments throughout the the entire show. Um, And I think by the second segment, everyone knew how the show was ending and what this was. Sure. At least I did. Viking Raiders against Ricochet and Cedric Alexander. I think this match would have been awesome in front of a crowd. I think the show would have been great in front of a crowd. Um, But this one in particular. Um, Ricochet and Cedric Alexander are a very fun team together. Uh, Ricochet does seem to be very invigorated here. Uh, he hit this leaping Rana to Ivar off the turnbuckle, and then Cedric dove to Eric on the floor. They've also got matching gear now. I didn't even notice. Yeah. Okay. One's, um, Cedric has like the, uh, the tights and then Ricochet has the trunks, but they've got like this, uh, black and yellow color pattern to them as well. So they look like more of an official team now. They don't have a name. Um, um, what is Cedric's nickname? Cedric doesn't have a nickname. Main event? <laughs> That's a lie. Uh, Main event? Is that what they, what he actually calls himself? No, that, that's, that's the brand he was unofficially drafted to these last <laughs> six months. Gotcha. Okay, we'll work on that. Ricochet gets launched over the top onto Cedric, and then Ivar hit a suicide dive, went through the break. Uh, they take over control with Cedric. He tries to fight both men off. Handspring gets caught. And then the the big flaw of the match was the Viking experience. This was not a, this was not a fun experience, as Eric ends up pinning Cedric 13 minutes, 15 seconds, and then Ivar starts signaling for the tag titles. Okay, yeah. You know, That's hard how you get a title shot. You just you make the sign around your waist. Quick, who are the this champions? Is, this is where the title will go. Who are the champions, John? The Street Profits, because they were in the next ah, segment. And that's, that's I'm right. looking at my notes. Yes, thank you. 
I'd forgotten. So, you know, this was a hard-fought match. Very physical, very athletic, very impressive. Unfortunately, I think a match like this kind of shows you where Cedric and Ricochet are slotted. Even as a new tag team, where, you know, I would say new tag teams usually get that, like, fresh push. I mean, for them, this seemed to only last about two weeks before taking a loss here to the, to the Viking Raiders. Um, to me, this was a match that really dragged. I think, one, because this was in the third hour... But secondly, it was also just a generic match to me with no attempt at any sort of emotional investment at all. Yeah, Ricochet and Cedric are fantastic in ring, but like you haven't showcased to me anything about the, about their personalities. I haven't heard one promo. I don't even know why these two are tagging together. So why would I be motivated at all to see them win? And I would even say the same for the Viking Raiders. I've seen them around. I might even like them, but I just I I. Yeah, I don't know. I guess it's been such a long time that I, I kind of forgot about why I should be cheering for them anyway. But that's kind of all these matches are right now. They're 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 in ring athletic displays that are kind of being dragged out than longer than longer than like the story um you know tell tells us that they need to be because they need to fill these three hours. You know what? I, I just want to see this show be entertaining for my own enjoyment and this is what I want to happen. I want, I want Vince McMahon to to freak out about the numbers, and he reverts back to his crazy idea last year that we can't have matches going through commercial breaks. Huh. Could you imagine what this show would look like if they couldn't have long matches? Oh my god! Well, no, they would have long matches. You just, you would just get two out of three, or maybe even three out of five matches. I I would love to see what the solution would be if they got to that or or what. Like just just give me crazy. Give me crazy ideas at this point. That's that's all that's going to keep me. As long as it's live, right? Yeah. Charlie interviewed the Street Profits. They brought in Bianca Belair and uh, they did this bit about the Viking Raiders and having respect for all of them. And they respect all Vikings because they've got <laughs> fucking great hygiene and oh jeez, yeah. Uh, don't don't worry. No, you didn't miss any but anything anybody if you if you didn't see this. No need to recap it, John. It was the best uh, promo was from Bianca. She just ran these two idiots down. It's like every time you fought these guys, you've got your ass kicked. But yeah, I guess uh, the, Bianca's role here seems to be, you know, telling them to get serious. The street profits are always joking around all the time. They're not really taking their careers as seriously as they need to be. And Bianca Belair is sort of the, I don't know, the, the consciousness. Isn't that kind of weird? They're the champions. Well, um, but they haven't beaten everybody. Okay. And then the show ended with Drew McIntyre and Andrade. We had Garz and Theory out there. Vega was there. Drew goes after the ribs. And they distract Drew, allowing Andrade to pull Drew by his arm, which was the previously injured arm from 2017, attacking it, using the post and the steps to go after the biceps. And this is when Jerry Lawler brings up Joe LaDuke injuring his arm right before a match. Drew then fights back with one arm. He teased the future shock. Andrade hit the Judas effect and then gets launched over the top with an overhead suplex or a back body drop onto Garza and Fury. And Drew then runs wild on them on the floor, grabs Austin Theory, and yells, Who grabbed my foot? Was it you? And he beats the shit out of Austin Theory. He goes for the 
uh, Andrade ends up getting the advantage, goes for the hammerlock DDT, and Drew stops it. Inverted Alabama slam. Three, two, one. Crickets as the Claymore is hit in five and a half minutes, and Drew wins. Mm-hmm. That countdown does not need to be yelled on any of these goddamn shows. You know, I, I feel like throughout this episode, I'll remember it. I mean, if I do remember it for, I think, the great job they did establishing Zelina's new faction, which was, which is also why I think I was so disappointed to see them just get fed to Drew McIntyre in the main event. Um, clearly, yes, Drew needed to win this one, but I, I, I don't think he needed to beat up Austin Theory. I didn't even... I I didn't even honestly like to me I, I feel I feel like there was I could have even seen like a DQ finish for something like this just to keep that threat strong because now instead of establishing them as you know a new main event level threat you just kind of establish these guys as far below Drew McIntyre and really easy for Drew McIntyre to to vanquish so you they're really not anything more than mid card players is the impression that I kind of get um, but everything before this I, I was a fan of. The, the buildup throughout the night was good for the this match, drawing on that history. And at the end of this, Rollins' music plays right as Angel Garza chop blocks Drew's knee. And while he's down, Rollins comes in, hits him with two stomps. As Lawler says, stomping out a non-believer. The Messiah has been resurrected. And that's how the show ends. So... Drew McIntyre and Seth Rollins is our program. And I just wonder if Andrade, Garza, and Theory are kind of just going to play the roles of, like, Rollins needs, I guess Buddy Murphy's back now, but almost making them, like, the lackeys. Because you would think Drew would have just been going through AOP and maybe Murphy to get to Rollins, and maybe these guys are just going to get attached to Rollins somehow. I would hope not. Um, I think they should really be their own thing. And it would kind of, you know, I was not happy with the way they were booked in the final segment here. And to think that they might possibly be lackeys to set up a Seth Rollins, Drew McIntyre match. I I would be quite disappointed because I really do think you have something here with the three of them, especially with Zelina in charge. And I would, I really would have liked to have seen them, you know, be, be end the show as a bit more of a serious threat. So I guess we saw, we shall see. Yeah, for all the buildup to the main event, listen, this was, you know, I'm sure under regular circumstances, this was a fine show, but I I really didn't get into this show at all. I just, man, I have just hit such a wall when it comes to just these endless matches on a three-hour Raw. It's, to me, I'm just so, um, I just am not into these shows right now. No, I understand, especially after, you know, I think following the news as closely as you have been, uh, knowing the circumstances, that to me was like uh, one of the biggest kind of hurdles I had. Um, and maybe just the variety here within like a three-hour show, not 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 really looking all that different. As I've said, a lot of matches taking place just for the sake of content time. Um, I think, you know, them announcing a lot of the qualifiers next week, I hope will give the show a, a sense of direction. Um I was a fan of, I think, the way they put over um, Naya. They made Shayna look great. The Asuka match I thought was good. I thought there were good things done on this show. But certainly, I 
you know, so much of, of, of the matches, I, I kind of just, I, 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 I'll probably forget right after we do this show. Um, so more variety is what I would like to see. Yeah. It's just, and, and maybe it's just, it, it just keeps going back to like, this is just so out of control. What's, what's going on. And yeah, I, I just, uh, that, that to me is what, what I continually come back to. And it doesn't make for really a, a fun viewing. Uh, probably doesn't make for the most entertaining review either. It's just simply like these shows are, it's just so beyond laughable at this point. And I think that's like the overall, and I think, believe me, after this, like we're talking on a Monday night, this comment from the, from the mayor uh, in Orange County, like that was the thing that came around like Monday evening. I'm really curious, like how much traction that gets tomorrow as just this laughing stock part of the country that has deemed WWE as an essential business that I think WWE is just going to be the, the punchline for many outlets. Now, I think they have now replaced the fight Island quotient of the news cycle as look what the, look what these idiots are doing. Like that's going to be their role that they are now fulfilling. Now that UFC has um, gone to sit down on the bench and go for their timeout. See, I, I, I think, I think it makes Florida look a lot worse than WWE. To me, this, this, yes. you know, on the surface, it just looks like WWE being able to get away with something that, you know, for whatever reason, like the jurisdiction that they happen to be doing these shows within allows them to do it. So why wouldn't they take advantage? It's kind of how I see it. Um, you know, as far as how much I think mainstream I don't know, criticism that, that they might get, I know that maybe there were, there were articles in ESPN, but listen, you and I have just been through not that long ago, the whole Jamal Hashoji thing. And they got hit, you know, by, by uh, John Oliver, by some of those other shows, but they survived that perfectly fine. I feel like this will probably be similar. It's not even, like, the idea of WWE caving to pressure or embarrassment is not, that's not how they react. They react to... uh upset sponsors they mm. react to upset broadcasters and to me that is the only way any of this changes is if fox or nbc usa network feel that pressure and so far like look if you wanted to do a real thorough breakdown of this story here is a health and safety story here is a workers rights story here's a unionization story here is a um mass media story when it comes to the broadcasters um, responsibility in all of this, like this checks off so many boxes of a story that is there. But to me, I, I really don't sense it. Like as usual, it's the wrestling media that is focused on this and covering this. And to the larger outside world, this is a distraction that is at best a punchline. And I'm not holding my breath for much much focus on this beyond this, because I think we'd be there by now at this point, they've been running a month already. Oh, wrestling is not, I mean, to, to many, many of the mainstream sources, I think not something meant to be taken all that seriously. And that's part of the reason I think why they've been able to get away with as much as they have. You know, I, I will say, I think let's not also not forget the possibility that still exists out there that anybody from this point forward can still come down 
as a positive case. And I'd be really curious to see upon a second positive case how WWE will react. Because, I mean, if you ask me, like, to me, I, I would have said it only took it would only take one case for them to, like, you know, completely um, cancel everything and just, you know, just just shelve the whole idea. And I was absolutely wrong about that. What would the second case do? How about this one? Okay. What, what was the responsibility of the WWE to disclose that when it happened on March 26th? Did they know of- though? Did they know back then though? Or cause like, I believe I, I listened to Sean Ross Sapp and I believe he said that they found out on the weekend of WrestleMania's broadcast. Okay. And they- 26 was the last time that they, um, the person was in the PC. Okay. So they put out a statement when they were contacted for one, that statement came out on Saturday this week. So that mm-hmm. was six days mm-hmm. in between. So that was not them voluntarily addressing it. That was them being contacted to, sorry, to sorry, confirm. Hold on, John. That, that, came, that came out after SmackDown or before? What do you mean? The, the, the COVID-19 case? Yeah, the statement. The statement that they sent internally. I'm saying uh, publicly to oh, publicly. disclose that. Yeah, okay. We're t- there was an internal um, statement that was circulated, but they did not volunteer that. They did not put that out there that there was yeah. a case within their company. That's I what don't I'm, know. I'm talking I don't, about. See, I don't even know if they would have had the story not been broken. Oh, well, that's, that's what I'm arguing right now is that um, – they have not been – they were not that transparent in this. Like they only addressed it publicly because someone had the story and they decided to put out a statement. They were going to keep that in-house unless someone pulled it out of them. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, listen, there's there are plenty of PR nightmares that are possible with this entire thing and I'm sure they're weaving through it uh, with uh, as, as much attention as they possibly can. But th- – the whole thing can go, come crumbling down at any second, and um, they will attempt to navigate, you know, those treacherous waters whenever they they get there. Um, but I, it's not to me, you know. I mean, unless there's a law or something that says that have to publicly disclose, I I feel like they will do the bare minimum to follow like whatever guidelines that they need to. All right, let's go over to some feedback here before we wrap up the show. Tonight's uh, poll, on a scale of 1 to 10, the show gets a 5.27. And we start things off with Nick from Lansing. I'll start with the simple statement that putting on these live shows is reckless and short-sighted. They're flirting with disaster, and we should all hope for the best. But that said, if part of hoping for the best is hoping for good wrestling, the show delivered for me. I like that Alistair is the guy who gets great matches out of people before getting a strong win. Shayna destroying Sarah Logan is exactly how she should be booked, and I love the efforts they made to build Zelina's faction, even if Andrade got the loss. If the show must go on, at least they, the least they can do is deliver good TV. We got Andrew from Cape Breton who says, On my favorite episode of Review Away, the April 10th, 2000 edition of Monday Nitro, John said a line that I say now in real life, When it rains, it shits. And my goodness, the, sh- the shitstorm around wrestling is just getting started. I definitely think there is a chance these shows will get canceled eventually by the government changing its mind or when the inevitable happens where Florida has a huge uptick in cases. In the case of WWE, Andrew thinks somebody will have to die. 
This may seem like an overreaction, but this is the same company that got a wellness policy after a wrestler in their company died and started caring about concussions when another murdered his family. WWE is a reactive company, and only when someone dies is when WWE will stand up and pay attention. If they stop running Florida, they will find somewhere else to go until someone dies from the virus in the company who attended these shows. Other than that, the show was fine, I guess. I wish I had some jokes to end off with. I guess this will be a great episode of Dark Side of the Ring in a few years. Man, that's the other thing. This week, everyone's going to be focused on that Jimmy Snuka story. Yeah. What a what a week. Uh, Jay from Colorado. I didn't watch Raw, but in light of Florida Governor Ron DeSantis declaring the WWE as, as an essential business and putting the lives of talent and staff at risk, I would like to... I would like to review Florida, if that's okay. Florida is hot, humid, and crowded. If it weren't for the theme parks and my sister in Mineola, I'd never visit. Also, the governor smells like cheese. Three out of ten. Finally, we got to add him from the street who says this show was not essential. John, if you saw John Oliver over the weekend, what was more satisfying on Sunday night? Way's Total Recall or the end of last week tonight? He says, I enjoyed both quite a bit. Hopefully, John can quickly recap the adventures of a little rat erotica. Unfortunately, I've not seen last week tonight, so I cannot uh, recap uh, those adventures. So um, I, I will seek it out. I have been um, I, I've not been watching a whole lot of TV of late, but one series I've actually started watching is the uh, Hillary Clinton documentary on Netflix, which I find really interesting. Oh, okay. It's a four-part series, and it's like a very interesting look at Hillary Clinton. And this is, you know, regardless of whether you are a fan of Hillary Clinton or not, I think it's like the most um, not not engaging, but most uh, open that she's been. I think that's always been one of the biggest uh, criticisms of Hillary Clinton is that, especially like. From the mid-90s on, she's been very much packaged, and I think that has been – has lacked kind of the – like who this human is. And this is one where she's no longer running for anything. She's kind of – she's not she, – she doesn't have a political motive to be so open right now. And I think when you look at the overall uh, contributions that she's made, the unbelievable things she has been accused of – in many cases, wrongly, and just her portrayal in the press. It's quite a lot when you just place it all together. And it's just, it's it's a really fascinating documentary series, in particular, episode three, which is what I'm up to right now, where it's pretty much the most I have seen, at least on camera, of Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton discussing the whole Monica Lewinsky case. Okay, very interesting. Ooh. There you go. That's my recommendation for the week. Anything you're watching, why? Besides Total Bellas. Um, you know, I I I did. Uh, oh, I've been watching Lego Masters. The series finale takes place this Wednesday, and oh. uh, yeah, that's been ter- terribly exciting. So I I watched that. Uh, of course, Terrace House is coming to an end because of COVID nineteen. So the the last episode just released on Japanese Netflix this week. And beyond that, that's kind of really it. Well, I'm going to watch The Last Dance next uh, this week. That's that's the big thing I'm looking forward to. I think this thing's going to be fantastic. 
Okay. Ten part awesome. series. Wow. Yeah. Cool. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back on Tuesday night. It's a review of Starcade 83. And then we've got Rewind to Dynamite on Wednesday night. So keep it tuned to postwrestling.com. Goodbye.